Hey, it's Yuli here. I'm your host today for the show. And today I'm talking to Mark Reggiano. He's the CEO of TextChange. So very 100% remote company, over 30 people. So you'll hear a lot from Mark on how they structure and how they're actually running our company from a remote perspective. You'll hear how they're instilling company culture, how they're onboarding people, many of the benefits they're having, and lots of more tactics which really help you if you're looking to work remotely. Enjoy. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, for sure. I, I thought maybe we could start by you sharing more a bit about yourself and more about uh, Texture so people can get to know you a bit better. Sure. I'm a career, going on a career entrepreneur now. been an entrepreneur for most of my professional life. One of those people who is not really destined to have a boss and work for other people, would rather <laughs> control my own destiny. And so I started a... I don't know, I've lost count, five, six, seven companies since I decided to go out off, uh, off on my own and start my first company. I've had uh, some successes. I've sold two businesses. I've had a couple of failures mixed in there. All of them have been tremendous learning experiences and have sort of led me to this point, uh, which is I've really developed a passion for small business and building products especially SaaS businesses that automate and eliminate time-consuming, painful problems. And that led me to Textjar. So started that officially almost five years ago as we're recording this, worked on it sort of uh, part-time, thinking about the best way to uh, go to market for probably about a year before that, talking with customers, et cetera. And what we do is we automate sales tax compliance for e-commerce. So without going too far down into the weeds, if you're involved in e-commerce at all, you have, depending on how big your business is, you have a series of challenges just trying to be compliant with sales tax. That's everything from trying to calculate how much should be collected, trying to gather data across multiple channels to get ready to file returns and actually filing the returns is kind of the, the third piece. And we automate all of that through technology and uh, are having a lot of fun doing it. Nice. And where in the world exactly are you right now? Just to put things in perspective for listeners. Sure. Yeah. I'm um, northeast of Boston right now in a small suburb just outside of Boston. Nice. And you're 100% remote company. Uh, how many people are right now uh, working for TaxJar? Well, let me do the math. Yeah, so we're 100%. I think as of today, we're up over 30. I think we're at 32 as we record this, and uh, we'll probably have a lot more in the next uh, six months. So why did you go the remote path? Why did you decide to start like a 100% remote company? Yeah, great question. So I can't say that when we started the business, we sat around and said, this is going to be a remote-only company. We started off that way for a couple of reasons. Number one, that was the only way that myself, that was the only way I knew how to work at that point. So a couple of the companies that I started previously had offshore development firms that I worked with and other partners in the business didn't live in the same town as me. So that was just ingrained in me and um, I enjoyed working that way. And the other thing is the folks that were around at the beginning of TaxJar, none of us lived in the same place. So the cool part was that we had all worked together in some way, shape, or form, so we didn't have to really get to know each other. We could just hit the ground running. 
and uh, none of us were going to move. We were older. We we started uh, a lot of us had had kids at that point, so that was just the only way that it made sense to uh, to get the business started. Mm-hmm. Sounds like this was kind of a default option. Like, yeah, you just went for it, and yeah, the internet allows us to do it today. That's true. And the the story that I always tell because I get asked this question, there was a turning point. So. We had hired, I don't know, a handful of people, and we decided to have our first retreat, uh, number one, because we'd never been in the same room before. And number two, I had read a lot about other remote companies had retreats, and they raved about the ROI that they got from that time together. So we Mm -hmm. said, okay, well, I think we're supposed to be having a retreat. Let's do that. And so we started off, I think, the first session on the first day, going around the room and trying to get to know each other more than just you know, the avatar that we saw in, uh, first time, whatever each other. I would have thought. yeah. And to a person without any prompting, everybody spent significant time talking about how meaningful it was to them that we were a remote only company. And mm-hmm. I mean, some really touching stories about how folks were, you know, afforded the opportunity to spend a lot more time with their family and their kids. And maybe they had sick parents or something. And I kind of looked around the room with uh, some of the other folks that had been there at the beginning, and we looked at each other and said, we're never changing this. We've got something really special here. People believe in this model. This is who we're going to be going forward. And uh, ever since then, we've really developed a serious passion about remote work and the future of work. Mm-hmm. Nice. So did you also have a good ROI, as others uh, told you, from the company retreat? <laughs> we did. Yeah, it was a great it was a great event. We've learned a lot about organizing, scheduling and running those events. We still have two of them every year. We've had seven of them to date. They're fantastic events. They're pretty magical, as I like to say, having all these people in the same room at the same time, getting a chance to spend time with each other and get to know each other and maybe do a little bit of work. But yeah, they're fantastic events that uh, everybody on the team really looks forward to. Yeah, that's an amazing tip, I think, for anyone working remotely to go and actually have lunch, break bread, actually meet face-to-face people you're working, because in the end of the day, we're all people. Right. It's something that if you're not working remotely, you absolutely take for granted. But yeah, there's just something really cool about, like you said, having lunch, just even the conversations that you have walking to lunch, right? Maybe you have a 15-minute walk in the and you're talking about something other than work, but you really get to know the person behind, you know, the video chat that you've been having with them every day for the last six months or whatever it is. And that goes a long way. And it gets people super excited about working together. And uh, we inevitably, we see a huge uptick in kind of motivation and excitement. Uh, the, the weeks and months that come after what we call jar fest, which is our, mm-hmm. our retreat. And, uh, you know, go, the, the other part that comes out of that is it, it convinces us that we need to hire the right people for this way of working, right? So we take very seriously fit within the team because um, we don't, we've got a core group now. And we don't, we don't want to disrupt that. We also don't want to coach up people on how to work th- this way. Mm-hmm. So you know, if you've got experience working in a remote environment that goes a long way in our eyes, we're we're less interested in candidates who are, you know, this is going to be their first remote gig because we've tried that and it really doesn't work. Um, 
just the, the way that we work, a company like ours works is a lot different than than what folks who have been sitting in a cubicle are used to. True, true. It's very different work. So if you touched about hiring, I mean, what else are you looking for people when you're hiring besides having some remote work experience? Are there any specific things you're looking for? So the remote thing is big. The other thing is that hopefully has come with that is experience using collaborative software. So, and with, with that is sort of underlying how much do you use the cloud, which, you know, we kind of chuckle at, but we have made mistakes where folks just technology wise didn't have the skills. They had never used Slack. they had never used Basecamp. So they didn't understand that this is kind of where you live and communicate with everybody. And that was a problem. Didn't, didn't understand, you know, we use Zoom for, for our video calls and just and even audio calls. Just didn't understand that that's the way it works. So we actually ask pointed questions now in our interviews around, you know, what collaborative software do you use to interact with people at work every day? They have no experience with that. You know, that's, those are points that are lost. Mm -hmm. Whereas somebody who displays, yeah, we're on Slack or we're on Basecamp. We do everything there. We don't use email. Those are the kind of things that we'd like to hear because they just, they understand how this works. We also look, we think there's a big difference between working from home and remote work, if that makes sense. So it does. Somebody could say, yeah, I've got a, I've got what, a ton of work from uh, home experience. Yeah. Well, somebody says, I've got a ton of work from home experience because I work every Friday from home. Well, that's not <laughs> the same, right? Sure, sure. If Completely. You've done this, Completely. The next candidate says, yeah, I've worked. I've worked remotely for 10 years and the last three years have been for a completely remote company. Okay. Now you've got our attention, right? You, you get this. And, uh, a lot of companies don't get that. A lot of candidates don't get that. And, you know, I have this conversation with a lot of other companies and CEOs that are either thinking about doing remote or have some, what they would call a work from home policy. It's like, it's night and day, right? It's not, it's not close to being the same thing. So, you have to dig in. I guess what I'm saying is you have to dig into that extra level of detail to figure out what exactly is the experience level. And again, the the remote only and technical aptitude are two big things that we're looking for. Yeah, sounds like you're looking for someone who is already able to jump from day one and use all your software, do everything needed. And yeah, anyone working remotely needs to structure their day. So it's very differently from a person working just a Friday or a long week, like from Monday to Friday. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that actually brings up a great point. You know, we've, because what we do uh, is tax related, we get a lot of folks from the tax base who mm -hmm. are interested in what we're doing. And, you know, um, it's exciting versus the very traditional, the history of working in tax, which is based around co-located work. Um, it's not typically remote work. And, you know, when we start getting questions around, like, what time do I have to be here in the morning? What time do I leave? Is there a lunch break? Like, <laughs> clearly, you don't get this, right? Different, not, different remote work. work. Yeah, you don't have the yeah, lunch breaks. Like, and not, not the official one, cares. at least. Yeah, nobody cares, exactly. Yeah, nobody cares. We, there is no time to be here. There is no time to leave. This is all based on trust and productivity. If So, you know, all points back to the more experience you have working this way at this pace. 
uh, the better chances that you have for to be considered to, to work with us. So how do you tell anyone on your team to structure their day? Is it like a free, like go work exactly whenever you want, on whatever you want, or other specific times someone has to be online just to be available with each other? Do you have like a structure you're following or is it more like a free? Yeah, it's pretty lightweight structure. So we have a, what we say is we have a preference that you're online as much as you can with the people that you work closely with. But ultimately, it's really up to you. I mean, we're not going to dictate when you should and shouldn't be productive, right? So if you work better in the morning or later in the day, cool. We just want you to be available, right? So that Makes doesn't sense. mean they Makes have to sense. be available like at the drop of a hat, but it does mean if somebody wants to talk to you before their day is over, hopefully you can work that out and it doesn't wait a day or two before you have that conversation. And and this really points to what we always talk to about. It all comes down to productivity. So, you know, your name is going to be attached to tasks or projects or, or work, and there's going to be a date attached to it. Our expectation is that you're going to get that done. And if you're not going to get it done, we need to hear, you need to raise the flag early and we need to hear why. The worst kind of crime that you can commit in remote work is showing up on the due date and saying, I didn't get it done. And here are all the reasons, right? I agree. So that's why we talk about trust is everything. In turn, you got to trust your other teammates, but we have to, we have to be able to trust you enough that we don't care what your hours are. All we know is that you've got something due on the fifth and you're going to show up on the fifth and it's going to be done. Yeah. That's where someone should communicate before and, in a remote environment, you have to over-communicate something. <laughs> I'm saying a lot. Uh, in such a case, if there are issues not to bring red flags, if there's a due task. So how do you structure the day yourself as the CEO and, and the leader? Do you have any structure for yourself or are you also follow the same lines of being available and following your hours? So I'm, I'm trying to get better and better at this. <laughs> we all are. I, I think... I think I have decent structure in terms of what my hours are. How I spend those hours is really where I'm trying to improve. <laughs> but I try to be available for the inevitable conversations that come up every single day that people, you know, uh, need help with. That being said, one of the things that I preach and senior leadership preaches and anybody who's a manager preaches, we want people to make decisions on their own. The last thing that I want is to be involved in every single decision, right? Yeah, makes sense. So. If something gets raised to me, uh, it's, it's because I want it to be because they're absolutely at a standstill and just can't figure it out. I'm happy to weigh in in that situation. I'd still rather have them make the decision because they're closer to whatever it is than I am. But uh, I try to block off time every day that is supposed to be either you know my productivity time when I'm trying to get the stuff I want done, or I also try to block off time to to exercise and then. Uh, the rest of the time is for, you know, those inevitable things that come up every day that folks want to talk through, strategize, uh, things like that. And one of the things I've found is if I don't block off that time, my whole day gets easily overrun and it gets to be the end of the day. And, you know, I feel like I haven't gotten anything done. The other thing I do is, and I've made it clear and I encourage other folks to do this on the team, you know, for me, I want to spend time with my kids before dinner. So I usually shut, shut down between four and four thirty my time. And 
you know, anybody that works closely with me knows that, right? So I've kind of set that line. And then I go spend time with the kids and we have dinner and we get the kids to bed. And then, you know, I probably work an hour or two after that. So I think if you have clear delineation and like, look, this is my schedule, this is what works for me, you know, then my teammates trust me that uh, I will be around and be available to them during the hours that I'm around. And, uh, you know, if not, then I'll try to get back to them as soon as I can. Sounds good. Yeah, I just want to strengthen the blocking time in the calendar, something I'm also doing. I think it's a small thing, yet in the same time, it, it's so big. Once you do block it, it you help uh, structure the day much, much better. And I also like For how sure. you said that you're trying in some way not to be involved in the small things and actually allow other people to make decisions, and I'm assuming it's uh, more and more tougher when you grow, like when more people are joining. So I'm wondering, how is it different running a remote team with 10 people as opposed to where you are right now, 32 people? So what are the differences which maybe you had to implement because you don't have this face-to-face -face interaction, maybe some systems? Really curious to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, so there's a couple of things that come to mind. One is, you know, going from one to 10, a lot of those hires are people you either know or have worked with or they're direct referrals. So there's not a whole lot of onboarding time that goes in for those people. They sort of get it. You know how they work. You know their patterns. You know what their skills are, what they're good at, what they're not so good at. And people just, they just kind of get to work, right? And once you start expanding beyond that, um, now you're working with people who you don't know, more importantly, they don't know you, they don't know, they don't know the inside jokes, they don't know uh, kind of the culture and the tone that you've set with that core group. And you have to really start paying attention to onboarding and getting them up to speed on so many different things, you know, like, here's the software we use, here's where the information is, here's how we work, here's what we believe in, here are our values. You know, these are the these are all the positive things. These are the things that we don't want to see. So there's there's a lot of things that fall into that category that um, are much more difficult. We're actually at a point now where we are we're interviewing and hopefully we'll be hiring very soon on a people ops position. So somebody that just owns the employee experience, right? So you know somebody that's there to improve employees day to day, but really focused on the onboarding so that. People aren't three, four, five, six months into their experience with us and wondering, like, why are we doing this? And what, who's that person? <laughs> you know, what, where do they work? What department is it? Like, lots of stuff. And I think we've done a pretty good job of this, but we can do a lot better. And that's one of the reasons why we're hiring for that. The other thing that I think about is just starting to have to put processes into place, which is very much related to what I was just talking about. So actually documenting how we do things and which does a couple of things. One, it, it, it does help educate new folks, but also interesting things happen when you actually put things into writing, like people start Agree. to follow. Agree, yeah. You know, what there the directions are. So that we're having to do more and more and more of. We're not perfect at it by any means, but, you know, it seems like a couple times a week we're asking ourselves, like, what's the process for this? Oh, we don't have one. Okay, time to... <laughs> Time to come up with one. And there, that's happening way more now than it did, you know, at 10 people. Mm -hmm. And how do you onboard and instill the culture? It seems like right now you still don't have the person that uh, is responsible for the experience. What have you been doing right, right now in terms of onboarding and 
how would you try and instill uh, your company culture? Yeah, great question. So I've been the one that's in charge of onboarding and a couple of things. One is we have we have a trial period. So in order to work with us, you have to spend some time with us. Uh, we prefer it to be at least 30 days and in some cases it's 90 days. And there you're really exposed. I mean, we so we live in base camp. You know, we give you, you know, obviously you get a, an account in base camp right away, probably get access to most of what's going on there, if not everything. And that's, that's great exposure to, to the culture and uh, kind of the way that we work. We're getting better at trying to get everything in writing in a handbook, which has things like, you know, a glossary in there, which has the most used terms. So if you're seeing people, you know, joke around and using terms about your own language. I like it. Yeah. Our own language. Exactly. Okay. Like what the heck does that mean? Well, it should be in <laughs> writing somewhere they can do that. Or why are, you know, why is this particular initiative taking so much time and energy? Okay. Here's Mark's slides from this. When he talked about it, why this strategic decision was made. So that happens organically. The other thing is when somebody actually gets hired, they have a meeting with me on the first day or two where I go through everything with them, which includes, you know, what our core values are, uh, what our brand promise is, what we're trying to accomplish as a company, what our big goals are, what our short-term goals are. Um, and in that discussion, usually, you know, history of the company comes out, why we're doing things the way we're doing, why we chose to, the decisions that we you know made early on. And the feedback has been really positive on that, that that's, super helpful and gives people a real good feeling for, okay, this is my link between what I'm going to be doing in my office and what the team is, you know, trying to accomplish as a whole. Mm -hmm. Sounds like good tips for anyone uh, thinking how to onboard and uh, the culture. I really like the glossary thing. I really think each person even have their own language to use. So accordingly, like an organization, a company, a team may have their own uh, stuff, which you need to translate to, New people. Sure. So you've been running TechJar for officially almost five years and you had some other companies. Are there some mistakes which you've done along the way from working remotely? Something you can think of, maybe share with our audience, maybe someone starting and he's more in the beginning or maybe a bit earlier, which he can learn from? Sure. There's plenty of them. <laughs> One that comes to mind is to trust my instincts more. So with other companies, just didn't either partner or hire the right people. And I knew it and didn't do anything about it. Once you have any sort of inkling that an employee or a contractor or you know subcontractor or anybody is not right for the role, then you're you're that's all you need to know. Like you're probably right, and you've got to move on that quickly because otherwise you're wasting time and money, and and then there are a whole series of other things that suffer because of that. So. You know, you always hear about you got to have the right people. You got to have the right people, and I, sure. I heard that and probably didn't take it seriously. But now I, <laughs> I, uh, I'm a true believer. It really is all about the people. Like when we think about the future of our business, it's going to come down to how well we hire in the next two years. If we get most of those hires right, we're going to be in tremendous shape. If we make a inordinate amount of mistakes and hire uh, a bunch of people that aren't great fits and can't do the work, 
we're going to lose those two years. So trust your instincts on that uh, would be the would be the biggest one for me. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like it. And you talked before about making a team productive. I just wanted to go back to it because I'm really uh, I love productivity. I'm wondering what are you trying or what are you doing to make your team more productive? Wow, really good question. And I know it's a whole like huge topic, so I guess everyone has their own uh, like definition of productivity as well. Yeah, one thing is you got to be really clear about what people should be doing and why, right? So I'm not just going to pile a bunch of tasks in your to-do list and say, go do these. Like you really need to have an understanding of why you're doing them. And then if they don't have a direct line towards our goals as a company, then you shouldn't be doing them. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think we've gotten better at this and we still have a ways to go on being really fanatical about making sure what is being prioritized actually matters. And it's not just because it sounds cool or one person asked for it, right? It really has to move the needle in order for it to be important. And moving the needle means different things to different companies. The other thing is you have to set the employee up for success, right? So if you're telling them, for example, based on one of your earlier questions, you have to work certain hours and that just doesn't work for that employee, then that's going to hurt their productivity. If they come to you and say, look, uh, for whatever reason, I'm just so much more productive after noontime. Okay. Like you shouldn't care about that. You should, you should be thankful that they've realized that. And the system is flexible enough to uh, allow for them to, you know, work those hours. And then there's, I think there's lots of little things that you can do to make sure that they are optimized for success. You know, let's say for somebody that works at home, what are the things that you need beyond the, you know, you need the most up-to-date hardware or tangible items, right? So we do things like we have a perk around ergonomic. Like if somebody wants to buy a standing desk, we'll buy it for them. If somebody wants to buy footrest, we pay for internet access. Like what are those, all those little details? that we want to take off of your plate so you can just get to work, right? And not have to worry about the small details. other things that are bothering you. Yeah, small details that get in the way. Nice, nice. Also some really, really good tips. We're getting close to the end of the show. I want to respect your time. I thought we can just uh, go for a few quick uh, personal questions. I guess the first one is, what's the fun or exciting thing you've done these last one to two weeks? Besides work? Besides <laughs> <laughs> Hmm, that's a good question. Well, it's cold here and uh, it's been winter, so the 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 uh, opportunities are are not exactly uh, plentiful. But I've got two kids, my wife and I, and just anything that we do with them on the weekends is a lot of fun. So uh, probably a weak answer, but uh, you know they're really important to me. They're my life, and uh, we have a lot of fun together. So that's that's the fun that I have. Sounds nice. Sounds nice. And what are the three things you always leave your house with? besides your phone and laptop? Uh, let's see. So I don't leave my house too often. Yeah, I mean, my wallet and keys to the car. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a huge believer in, uh, I'm, a, I'm a minimalist at heart. So uh, I try not to have too much stuff with me. And I actually hate even carrying a backpack or a bag. If I can't, if I can't carry it in my pocket, then usually I don't want to bring it. <laughs> 
All right, so if someone is not sure they may need to pay and collect taxes, I know this is a really complex topic. This wasn't our core discussion, and maybe they think TaxShare may be a great solution for them. I know I have many friends, and I told you before recorded, like they are Amazon sellers, they're using you. Um, where they can go and maybe read more about what you guys are up to to see if you are indeed a potential good solution for them. Yeah, thanks. Uh, they can go to TaxShare.com. We also have a blog blog.taxyard.com. It has over 800 blog posts about sales tax, if you can believe it. Um, that is a tremendous resource we get. We get a lot of compliments there. Jennifer Dunn, who does all the writing for us, is absolutely amazing. And uh, pretty much anything you want to know, whether you're a beginner or an expert, uh, we've probably talked about it. And uh, that's a great place to go to start wrapping your head around what you're uh, supposed to be doing and, and how to uh, do it quickly and get up to speed. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Well, Mark, I really appreciate your time and it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much for coming to the show today. Thanks, Yuli. Really appreciate it. Small quest before you leave. So if you enjoyed the show, we would really appreciate to receive a five-star review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app that can really help and we also would love to hear any feedback that you have anything else you want us to ask anyone coming to the show anything you want to change improve add or something you like really any feedback we really, really appreciate it have a great day